subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Cliff. Bobo. Well, I got us a treat today. I got us a blast from the past. Yeah, yeah. I am looking forward to this one. I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, I got RPG, the producer extraordinaire, one of the longest serving members on the Bigfoot, uh, Finding Bigfoot team, one of my best friends, couldn't have done the show without him. Great guy, super hilarious, giant heart, um, smart, funny, good looking, athletic. He's the total package. So, welcome, Ryan Patrick Golombeski, RPG. Welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond, Ryan. It goes without saying, I miss you guys and what we had for that time together so much that if I actually sit and really think about it, I'll get emotional. Uh, it was amazing, that time of our life. Um, anyway, so I, I hope to replicate that soon um, with a new squad. Huh. Good luck, man. It's not going to happen. That was magical. I've, I spoke to Madison the other day, and even she and I were saying that, you know what? That was really something special. Hamill says the same thing. Adam says the same thing. Uh, this TV this TV business doesn't produce a show like Finding Bigfoot. And I don't mean the stuff that the consumers see on the screen. I mean the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's hard to find a family like what we found on Finding Bigfoot for those nine years. Yeah. Yeah, and RPG was there for a long time. Yeah, well, I was I was in and out. I remember we talked, Bobes, and you're like, "Hey, I'd love to get you on." You know, we need some of that positive energy on the show. It's a, it's a grind um, because I wasn't I wasn't there season one when you guys were shooting. What was it like round the clock and stuff? Yeah, practically, we did like four or five night investigations a week at that point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's amazing for, for being a squatcher, but yeah, that's that's a hell of a grind. Yeah, now, now you knew Bobo, and you met Yamarone way back in the day. Why don't you guys tell us about that? Because that's a little-known chapter in Bobo's life, and uh, certainly in yours as well. Oh, yeah, man. That was, uh, we had, my brother and I had a show called Monster Brothers, um, about two East Coast guys traveling around, looking for monsters, you know, s- same kind of setup. Um, and the underlying, but we had this interesting subplot, which was we were finding out that our parents were going to be breaking up. So we were hoping to use the show as a means to like kind of keep us all together, uh, which is like a little heart chord to that. Um, so anyway, it, it was awesome. Um, we were just ahead of our time because we weren't famous. Nobody knew us, uh, but people were still interested because we had this genuine charm to us, um, a little rowdy charm. And so we were at Spike and we were doing pickups for them. They wanted to see a little more footage. We were like, what do we do? You know? And, uh, that's when it was your, what was your editor buddy's name? Jensen Roof. Jensen Roof. That's right. Jensen knew my brother who was editing at the time. And they said, listen, this guy, Bobo, I mean, he's, he's the man you got to meet him. We're like, dude, with a name like Bobo done like that, that's our vibe. That's we wanted, we wanted authentic people, you know, the real squatchers. And, and anyway, so, uh, we met up at, what was it? Um, Mount, Mount Pinos. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we met up there. Up, where and he Maker, up, 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 up near where Moneymaker found his original um, footprint tracks on the LA Ventura border. Oh, out by Gorman somewhere, like Southern California. Yeah, it's just north of LA. Just north. It, it wasn't a far drive. Not for us, but it was for the Bobes. But, you know, at that point, Bobes is like, where do you need me? You know, he'd be in Europe in six hours if you needed him. So. <laughs> So, oh man, it was hilarious. So he comes down, right? And we're like, okay, well, we're going to do, this is, this is what I'd like to call young energy, you know, like that, that anywhere from early twenties to like maybe mid thirties, if you're absolutely insane, but we filmed and partied so hard that full period that he was there uh, that I remember Bo saying to me in the tail end of it going, uh, that's the hardest I've ever partied and actually accomplished stuff. And we took that as the greatest. I took that as the greatest compliment in the world as my, uh, my brother is actually projectile vomiting and I'm behind him pretending to hump him. It was, uh, it, it, it was, it was, it was, 
the most unbridled raw creativity because we had no idea what would sell. We didn't know. And we just know that we had a lot of energy and passion and we wanted to like get people in the woods, you know, get people excited about getting off their butts, not just watching so much TV and all that stuff. And I don't know, you know, when you're young, you think you're going to change the world and you're going to win and all this stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, we had a hell of a time that night. I mean, Bob's was, I remember, I just remember first meeting him and he, you know, you're a big dude, man. You're, you're, you're a force. And I've always been a force personally, wherever I went. And then all of a sudden you meet someone else. And like instinctively, I, I was just thinking that's a big brother, but you know, but then the mask inside of me was like, shut the hell up. You can take him. Um, <laughs> and I just remember, like always. And then, and then it was when you did your howl, uh, that's when I felt it. And that's when I went, Oh, you know, like it's real, you know, like it's, it's really real. There are other people that actually believe. Um, and, and it's not, cause I, I don't know. I felt like at that point, all of us in this field were really isolated. You know, they're a little passionate, but you couldn't dude. I, I grew up playing sports. Nobody wanted to talk about that stuff. They just look at you cross-eyed and be like, yeah, well tell me about the Celtics. You know, it's like, eh. um, so it was awesome to really start to meet people. And Bob's was a big person. Um, at the start, you know, kind of for us. The Wasn't the Yams in on that too? Yeah, oh yeah, Yams. I brought Yams too, and he was on fire. And th- these guys brought two, be- like uh, Ryan's girlfriend and then this other beautiful girl was her neighbor. And it was him and his brother. And then Gabe, well, Gabe was the Bigfoot, right? Yep, yep, yep. Gabe dressed up as Bigfoot. Remember Gabe that worked on our show for a while? Remember uh, Cliff, he did some episodes, sound guy? Yeah, okay. Well, now where can people see this? Is it anywhere? Or is it just the, the, the some editing room floor somewhere? No, the Monster Brothers. Oh no, no! I will get you guys. That'll that'll that's my gift. I will get you guys the footage of that. What we filmed for Spike specifically. Um, the pilot itself. Uh, that's I believe that's still on YouTube under just Monster Brothers Part One Two Three Four. But I'll get you the special footage that only the uh, the studios. I got to talk to my brother about that. I haven't. I actually. That's exciting. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah, they, they, it was too radical for Spike TV back when Spike was like the craziest channel on TV. <laughs> it was nuts, dude. Like, I drank a case of beer the first day and night because I got there like in the morning. And by like 3 and three a.m., I'd already put down a case of beer. Well, I just looked up uh, Monster Brothers and there you can find it under videos. And it says Monster Brothers takes its audience on rowdy supernatural adventures packed with fast humor and New England charm. <laughs> that's it oh yeah <laughs> they, blew it back. they blew it not taking that show did you guys had a hit man i remember telling you guys I'm like i'm all when you get your show rpg put me in as a roadie or whatever you know like a pa and he's like sure he's, you're, you're all do the same I'm like sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then i went to work for you and it was awesome <laughs> no that was uh Yeah. What we were trying to do with that show and why ultimately it didn't work is because we were trying to make it uh, like life itself, dynamic. And there was a heavy comedy element to it to keep it fun. So just when things might get boring for some people, you know, we do some random joke, some pratfall, whatever. Um, But then also very serious. And also we were opening up our lives to the audience immediately and saying, like, listen, this is what we're dealing with. And we're actually trying to use the show to, to help our family. And it was just the combination of that. We were already in like a pseudoscience and everything. It was just too much. It was too much. It was too innovative in, in, in my professional opinion. Ahead of your time. It was. Yeah, man, it was rad. And yeah. Oh dude, there was one point in the night, right? We're call blasting and Yams is on his guitar. And I just remember at one point, like stumbling away from him and looking at him and he is belting his song like his whole face was like a giant cherry tomato as he was just i guarantee that was the most passionate yams has ever sang in his life for that amount of time (laughs) yeah so then after monster brothers you guys just kept in touch i guess and remained friends and talking on the phone and whatever until until the opportunity for you to show up and uh, work on finding bigfoot um, presented itself is that correct or is there other other is there another chapter i'm missing in there uh no that's that's uh, essentially what happened um i was you know i was obviously in the hood now and trying to figure out what to do and i was stoked for 
um, Bobes to be, he made it, man. He made it like how it's, that's a, that's a lightning strike for all of us. So he did it. And then to, to have him, I guess in one weekend to make such an impression on each other that he would reach out and, and ask me to be a part of, you know, the best case scenario uh, that was because they said your resume was light in the entertainment. Like, we got to hire this guy as a producer. And they're like, he's only worked on one season of one show. That's not enough. And I remember like I had a, call Keith and Chad and it was like a big battle to get you hired on. And then they finally did their, they're like, it took Hamill a while to admit it because he, he loved to bust your balls, but he was like, okay, I got to admit after, after like a couple years, he goes, all right, RPG is great. I'm glad we got him. Well, I'm a pain in the ass, you know, like I'm a big personality and I, you, at some point in life, you don't want to limit that anymore. Like some people need a stage and it's okay. Some people don't, some people need a certain version of it, but to learn to work with you guys and to attempt to limit that and also, and, and, you know, do my job well, that it, it was a great challenge. It was a great challenge. But, but I think the fact that we had so many powerful characters, both in front of camera and behind is what made us the, the traveling rock stars, like big footing rock stars. And you listen, anybody that if we would have filmed a show about the behind the scenes, it would have been the greatest reality show of all time ever, ever mic drop guaranteed guaranteed. Even everyone that came with us, you know, from a Pruitt to a, to a flippy, to, to, a, to a out of bounds, uh, everybody, I don't know, man, I, the way I to try to describe it is it's like, it was, it was traveling high school, you know, and, and I mean that as a little sting with the high school, like we were, there was a lot of immaturity and stuff, but yet we kept it together and created high art. I mean, the top of it. High art. You're, you're, you're saying finding Bigfoot was high <laughs> art. It's so difficult to create something of that level and bring that many people together and make it work somehow. I, I guess I, I have to find a different term for it. I, it just to me is the highest level because it's the difficulty of achieving that is astronomical. Yeah, it was a chaotic circus of weirdos is what it was. Yeah, it was. It was, man. That served us well. We all, we all got out of there alive for the most part. Yeah, because you came in to believe our RPG because I remember you'd seen something as a kid because you have some definite Bigfoot experiences. Tell us about some of the experiences you had like where like, you're like, oh, my God, these things are real. Like You had some compelling things happen. Well, my, mine was, it was almost like a little backwards. Like I, uh, I could have very well. Now, this was a long time ago, so you always put it in is that really what happened? But also it's one of the few things I even remember (laughs) from being a kid. So coming home from Maine, I saw what I thought at the time was a a big, I I just thought it was a bear because I didn't understand the shoulders and the the actual building or anything yet. And it was just standing on a cliff. And as we're, I was cruising by in the car, annoying the hell out of my mother, but also come to find out years later, she's like, you know, you kept me awake on those long drives. (laughs) I was like, Oh God, Uh, really? You would have fallen asleep. But anyway, so I'm annoying the hell out of her. And this thing, almost as it goes out of view, it turns and walks into the woods. And when it turned and walked up upright, um, because I also had thought that it might have been a billboard, you know, all these things just go through your head. You just try to, you know, just nail it. That's what that is. Now move on with your life. Um, and then I freaked out, told my mom, no big deal. But it was later when she gave me those Time Life books and in it. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen or that I remember seeing a drawing of what I had seen. And it instantly took me back to that moment. And, and I believe cemented me in that moment for the rest of my life because that's what I saw. That's exactly what it was. And, and it was a dark picture. So it was like, or the, it looked more like a, a dark outline of a squash kind of, and that's what it looked like from that angle. And, uh, and anyway, that's when I really was like, oh, wow, that's real you know, that's real. And, and then, then you just go for years with nobody believing you and you kind of bury it. Right. Um, but that was the start of it for me. And then, and then we would start going in the woods with my brother and we would just make noise and do these things. And when we do that, the first thing we really started to notice was there were times we were in the woods where all the noise would vanish. And it would usually be when we were trying to like, I mean, and now let's be honest, it, it wasn't just Bigfoot. Uh, it was Godzilla. I mean, we were kind of, you know, we were kids. We were playing, we we're going to call this, call this in. But in the times that we were calling and, and putting real intention as children into this, the woods would get very different. And that 
personally, you know, like I still didn't understand it because I was young, whatnot, but that had me, had me curious. Things like that, that everyone else just goes, eh, weird, let's go watch Celtics game. You know, I'm like, well, why is that? Why? So anyway, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of the weirdness of nature that got me more into it and made me believe they're real because uh, we're basically blind when we go in the woods, most of us. Uh, you know, we're, our heads are up our, our butts, man. We're, we're, we're focused on the future or the past, our regrets or this. What's going on on our phone? He said, she said, you know, uh, this is the, you know, thinking about a show or, or something else when we're just anything but present. Anyway, I, I rambled off. I'm sorry. Should I throw a joke in right now? No, you're doing great. <laughs> so, what, so when did you have? What was your first thing? Well, there were so many things that happened. What, what do you remember sticking out to you, like where you were like at base camp or running batteries out to a team, and then back on the trail, something happened? Like what happened like that? Oh no, I, th- this this is a great one. Uh, this one just sticks out, and it's 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 always been with me because it was the first time on the show where something happened and I, it might've been my first episode to be honest. I'm not sure. I mean, Which was so what? What was your first episode? I don't, I, 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 I'm foggy on that because I thought I came in in season two, but I might not have come in until season three. I think you were there for two and then you were, then you left for a while. Yeah, I left. Yeah. And then came back. I don't know. That's, that's foggy. Uh, it's high art. Um, so not, I'll have to get back to you on that cliff unless you remember. Do you remember? I don't remember. Well, I can look at the call sheets. Yeah. Well, anyway, it might have been when we were in Arizona. And remember that time we were driving out into the into the middle of nowhere. It was like one of those when we were doing the, the three-hour drive, four-hour, five-hour drives. Uh, it was that night that Foskey and I, I think it was part of that time where Foskey and I hit the sign and, and spit the sparks. And we were shooting like uh, the, the, the U-Haul, we, I don't know, it was con- weird construction and someone had hit a sign and we hit it with a truck and it was rooster tailing oh, yeah. sparks like 50 feet in the air. And, <laughs> and remember every time Fosky and I drove together, the tires went flat. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, every time. But anyway, that area of the world is, I mean, it's just magical. And we were driving out that night and this was also the first time I'd ever seen a herd of elk. Uh, first of all, they were so gigantic. I wish someone had told me that dinosaurs were still real because I, I didn't, I just didn't know nature got that big and they came over the road and the road was at like, it wasn't 90 degree pitch, but you know, the kind you're not going down. And in the daylight, you hope you never have to, they were sprinting. I, all I heard was, it was the most powerful, beautiful, epic thing. And that was just us pulling into the, the canyon or this, this kind of valley we were going into. Do you guys remember this spot? Am I, am I describing it right? In Arizona, I don't know. Were you guys from that cave cliff? Uh, anyway, so we, uh, we drove in and we, we got down there and, and we started walking out. And there was a spot where the road kind of curved around and then bent back. So it was, we were in kind of a bit of a clearing. And you guys were, were onto something. I'm not even sure what you were onto, but, but the, the second you called, okay, I was ahead of you guys. And you know who I was hanging out with? Uh, oh, God, what was his name? Trench Coat. Oh, oh, weirdo oh Steve. yeah, the sound guy. Steve. Yeah. Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Where does Steve? Yeah. He was standing there with his mic. And after you guys made the call and I was right near him from the top of the ridge, you hear two things come barreling down. Like you, you couldn't, it, here's what was really neat about the situation. You guys are down the hill. So you're talking, so you couldn't hear it. You could only hear it if you were just far enough away. So these two things come sprinting down from the top. And you guys know you're in the woods. Unless you're being stalked by a predator, anything that you're going to come across is going to very slowly move away from you. These things were sprinting down the hill at us. And what, and what I found fascinating, once again, takes me back to my childhood, is like, okay, put yourself fully in the moment. See, smell, feel everything. Let your adrenaline take off and, and, and become focused. Because there is a spring and they were running perfectly in line with the spring. They weren't to the sides of it. It was it, so. If you looked that direction, um, it, it, it was masking the sound a little bit. And they kept coming closer and closer. And I tapped Steve, and I go, I go, Steve, 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 Steve. And now remember, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I went out with you guys because I couldn't. I was like, it's happening already. Like what? This this is genius. What? A, who picked this location? And he turns his mic. And up to that point, uh, he was not a believer. Steve was not, you know, he was there to do his job. 
And I watched his face, and that's the only time I have ever seen Steve's expression change from just poker player, right? And he's his eyes, you, you know, dude, you guys know. So anyway, when somebody has a real experience, they cannot hide it from you or themselves. And he turns his mic, and, and you can just see it. He knows. He hears it coming, and then he puts it back to, to you guys filming, and then he goes back, and then, his, and then he, they do that thing that people do. His shoulders just dropped. He just, he was like, whoa. Um, so anyway, so I'm staring. Now, of course, this is squatching. So it's the perfect time. The light was just dying just enough. And right where the, the road curved around, right above the spring, there was like a wall of darkness. And now um, this is the truth of this moment. And once again, as you guys know, perfect time of day, eyes could play tricks on you. I was already hearing something. The sound was real. Steve recorded that sound, hands down, recorded that sound. Right when it got to the edge of that darkness, um, I swear that Steve and I saw one arm swing kind of out as it stopped because they were in a, I'm, I'm talking full sprint. Like, I, I don't know. I, somebody was sprinting down the mountainside, two people. And and it could have been more, I don't know, but it sounded like two to us. And then it comes right, and we could have swore we saw an arm. Now, at this point, I'm like, okay, this is, wow, we're going to have, we want, we want, we can all retire. So I go down to tell you guys and just kind of alert the group. But since I was the new guy, I, I was, everyone was like, it was like, you didn't hear it. And then when they went to get to Steve, Steve just shrugged his shoulders. And I was like, but, 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 and, uh, but you guys were already on the scent. I forget what you guys were onto. I don't know if you found a track. I don't know. You were on the scent of something. So you were already in the zone. Um, but that is, uh, that's one of my favorite stories of being on the road because that place had some of the biggest game I've ever seen in my life. And I, I know what I heard and I believe I might've seen a squatch arm. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. You know, I don't remember that, but then again, I wasn't there, and because uh, I think I was camping in one of the Arizona episodes. Yeah, I, I was on the camping. Uh, you know, I was a camp solo camper of that episode. So Tyler Bounds and I were out gallivanting around somewhere. So yeah, and, and just a, a little a nice ending to it. So every night we would go to leave, and moneymaker was I'll drive. <laughs> and if you remember those roads, these are like mountain sketchy, take your time, especially at night, especially if it's at night and a little foggy, especially if it's at night and a little foggy and really early in the morning and you haven't slept, you've been working all day. And I remember Fosky and I trying to keep up with him as he was gunning. And, and I mean, like, not Death Race 2000. What's that cross-country one that they, they go? Dude, oh, it was insane. Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run. He Cannonball Run. And, and the amazing thing is, is like, you, you know, Moneymaker's actually really talented. Like, really. And, and he drove that so fast that even Fosky and I, two little alphas, we refused to follow him. We, we just slow down. We got to slow down. And you guys never went off the cliff. Nothing ever happened. Do you remember that, Bobes? Vaguely. Yeah, it was a it was a while ago. That was all, it was really just powerful to me because I was I was new to it all. And I just ten years ago, next so, month, ten years. Wow. And really, you know, you just asked Bobo, "Hey, Bobo, you remember that one time Moneymaker drove real fast?" <laughs> I know. It's like we just we just were doing our our Bob Saget look back tribute episode. We just did, and we were that was one of the main Moneymaker stories was him driving too fast. Yeah, it's kind of a motif, you know. Yeah, well, he's, he's got to get there, and he's going to get there tonight. Yeah, soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. What's your favorite moneymaker story that you can tell on the air on a PG-rated show? <laughs> I know. People ask me that, and I'm like, oh, where do you start? Well, he, he does have a very special record in my life. Um, he is the – the story goes like this. RPG, would you attend – the bar with me tonight. I would like to buy you a few rounds for, for all that you do for the show. And I said, of course. And I would go and I would sit at the bar. And at some point in our conversation, mostly about him, somebody would start to come up and go, you're that moneymaker. Uh, can I touch your hair? And they would just be all over him. And then, and then it would just, boom, he'd be like, I have to get out of here. They're crowding me. 
and then he would just leave. He would just he would vanish, and I'd be like, "What the?" And, and sticking you with the bill, sticking me with the bill, getting <laughs> money, man. He's the only person on planet Earth that I have allowed to do that to me. Not once. But twice, but thrice. Mm. <laughs> he, he got me three times. He got on the road on that show. He got me three times, and then and then I, I never went to I never went drink solo with him again. He is a very expensive date. Dude, I, oh, I made yeah, a bet yeah. with him. I made a bet with him one time for like a hundred bucks, and then for so instead he was taking me to like a really fancy dinner, and it was like a hundred and seventy bucks, like with the for each person with with the with the bar tab on it. And sure enough, like some, there's other people came in, this, that, that. Next thing I know, he's gone and I was sitting there holding the bill. Yeah, I got stuck with the bill that one time. We had that contentious meeting with the producers and <laughs> yeah. he's all mad. And they like, he stood up and made his point and says, take care of that and walked away. And then everybody walked away and it's like, well, I got to pay for everybody's. I wasn't even, I wasn't even one of the contentious ones. And I ended up paying for everybody's dinner. Oh, that sucks. He, he, he well, like pointed at, he pointed at the at everything because he, he's the one that ate all the most most stuff. I mean, we were just having hors d'oeuvres. It was a steakhouse too. It was like Outback or something, you know. And I, was I think, well, I think we all we all ate we all ate hors d'oeuvres, and he ordered a steak. Oh man! Well, I know it was a big bill, and of course, I then he pointed it. at the bill and all the stuff because he had a big pile of plates and dishes and stuff and napkins in front of him, and he pointed at it and kind of made a circling motion with his finger and said, "Take care of that," and then walked away. Yeah, he was mad though. He wanted to get out of there, so whatever. Yeah. I'm okay. He's he's a friend. I'll I'll take those hits every once in a while. It's yeah. worth it. Yeah, so you're not alone, RPG. That happened to all of us at one point or another. I, I feel a lot better about that now. It's, <laughs> but I always, and to be honest, I kind of feel the same way. But I was always just amused by it. It's not like we sat there drinking all night. We had a couple of drinks and then just that celebrity lifestyle, which which I thought he loved. He was like, "Nope, I'm out of here. Gone." Yeah, you know, for um, people just really do not know Matt. I will say that they just really do not know Matt Moneymaker. Um, he is, yeah, he sure he he enjoys interacting with his fans and all that sort. He likes the kind words, but he he's kind of an introvert. At the end of the day, he's kind of uncomfortable around a lot of people after a little while. Yeah, he'll be the, yeah. he likes to be the center of attention and the ringleader for a while, and then he wants to bounce out and just boop, that's it. Gone. He's going to be by himself for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. He spends a lot of time alone and on purpose, you know. Hey, this is kind of funny too because one of those times, which which uh, he left me at the bar, um, we had actually I had come in with you, Bobes, and here's here's how I knew we were brothers. And this might embarrass you a little, but it's hilarious. We walked in and there were just tables that had some leftover food on it. And I thought I was the only person that had no problem eating off those plates. But you walked in and took a fry off one, took a chicken nugget off the other, something else. Didn't Never missed a stride, never missed anything. And I just followed you and did the same thing. And I just remember Chad Hamill, just, you know, how he was like, he's like big brother. He was everywhere. And he just shook his head at me because <laughs> he couldn't say anything to you. He couldn't say anything to you, but he just shook his head at me. And I was like, well, I guess I can't do that anymore. <laughs> I always I still do that. <laughs> well, I've seen you do it several times in several locations. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to yeah, get food. thrown away. Why not? It's going to be thrown away if you don't do it. Yeah. So, so uh, with the Finding Bigfoot thing, like it, it, you, you came on as a, as a PA, which is a production assistant. It's kind of low person on the totem pole sort of thing where you do everything that needs to be done. And that job never goes away, really, because on a show like Finding Bigfoot, even Chad Hamill or whoever, they, they would still get water for people. Chad, of course, the supervising producer on the road. Everybody has that job. Everybody has the PA job if no PA is available. But you eventually moved up in the ranks and became various other sort of – you wore various producer hats through the years. Um, and because of that, you got to know the ins and out of all the jobs. But what was harder, dealing with the various jobs you had or is it dealing with uh, the various cast members? Because we're all particular and, and oblique and, and just uh, weird in our own little ways. And you had to make sure that we were okay. Otherwise, the show would fall apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, 
well, there were certain people that were no problem and then certain people that told you exactly what they needed. And then there were just the wild guns like the moneymakers who you didn't know if at call time he was going to be in the pool, you know, gently. Remember when he'd get to do those workouts where he'd twist his upper torso and oh, yeah, yeah. twist for like 20 minutes and you didn't know. And like if my job was to make sure he was on time or that's that's my butt uh, and you just go and it's, it's five of and he's in the pool and he's doing that and part of you the comedian the adventurer the, the the lover of great characters is just dying laughing and then the other part of me is like you need to somehow motivate that man who i'm pretty sure doesn't like you at this point because you haven't earned his trust yet um and then and then you just learn you learn to speak the language and well, you know. the same thing with bobo as well we all know that you did that to bobo you're the bobo whisperer that uh, was that was yeah yeah. Yeah. Bobo was, uh, and I don't know why, cause he doesn't listen to anyone because he's lived the truest life to his true vision. But for some reason, and maybe it goes back to that night on the mountain where we bonded, you know, just, I don't know. He's, I always felt Bob's you're, you know, you're an Olympian, you fell from Mount Olympus and you, you landed on the earth and lo- to look for a good, a few good people to ride with. And I think, uh, I don't know. I, I, I we're bros. It's probably the best way to say it. We're just, good bros. And that worked out, but yeah, he would listen, but don't, don't think that I wasn't told to go take my head and put it in my butt a few times, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could, he had his days. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, Bob's man. You have the biggest heart. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was a pain in the ass, but at least I bought you guys dinners and drinks all the time. Oh yeah. No, I mean, listen, you, you, you all had big hearts, but you, you had to also deal with it. Like, even you, Cliff, you know, you're a, what I'd like to call like a pure squatcher and to be brought into something like that because TV isn't pure. Like there's no way we could have, like you guys were doing before four or five nights squatch. I mean, that's more realistic and awesome, but it's just not sustainable when you're doing TV. So for you guys to adjust to that and Oh, another thing I always wanted to tell you guys, which I was super proud of, which I heard after the fact, I heard like in that first season, you know, you guys had to get rid of some producers and stuff because they weren't taking it serious. So whenever anyone asked me, like, was it real? Like, was it actually real or was it just TV? I go, let me tell you something about that cast. They made sure that the one thing that was absolutely true was that no one was faking anything. And they actually got people kicked off for people that thought that might've been a good deal. Like they're legit. You know, um, so I always just want to say bravo to you guys for sticking to your guns on that because I know that's hard, especially when people wave money and stuff in people's faces. So kudos to you. Bigfoot's more important. What it comes down to. Yeah, I want to hear some Agreed. more of your stories. RPG about at night when you had some squatch likely encounter, like heard them. What do you you mean, like uh, when I was on the, the you know, show? You know, it's a great story. You know, it's a great story. It was the one in Maine, Turner, Maine. Um, reality TV gets a bad rap, right? But one of the good things that it can do sometimes is when a, a, somebody has an experience with Bigfoot, they put it out in their community and then they're shamed for it. Well, we showed up in Turner, Maine to stand in solidarity with this young boy who had put out this video and it was daytime squatch video, you know, and this, this squatch is just walking back and forth just uh, down this logging road on, on just this, you know, framed off shot. And it's just moaning, just moaning and walking through. So anyway, he puts it out. Nobody believes him. He gets picked on. We show up and, uh, you know, suddenly the girls are like, hey. Want to go see a movie Friday night? Um, but that area of Turner, Maine is super squatchy. And and what was amazing about that time that we were there was that it was the darkest, dampest, just creepiest time you could ever be in the woods. I mean, it was literally like there was already fog on the ground and then the clouds came out of the sky and pushed down. Um, so it was just, just really an interesting time to be in the woods. And and so you guys had gone out, and if I remember correctly, you had gotten different types of action. You'd heard some knocks or howls, and there, there was something, but it was staying away from you, essentially. So when you guys came back in at 2, 3 in the morning, whenever it was, um, I went into the woods. So the theory was, you know, a lot of, a lot of Squatch activity, people go, they tromp, they go all around, but let, let's be real. The best place, well, they already know you're well, there. One followed us back to the base camp at the house. That's when 
we were telling you, like, dude, one followed us back. That's when you went out there with the thermal. Yeah, because right. we were doing a. Oh, I know that we. I know my team at least. I think I was with Renee. Um, we heard one. We just couldn't catch up to us. It just stayed out of our range. You know, we kept following these knocks for 20, 30 minutes at a time, and I think it showed up twice that night. And then uh, when we went back to do interviews, you know, we do interviews afterwards. We're standing at the camera and we're describing the night, and they edit that into the to the live cut. And uh, we heard the thing running around in the in the woods behind us during the interviews. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So what was neat was if something. The theory was if you guys you're like a lure out in the woods all night, and then you come home. So obviously, if they're out there, they're going to follow you back and kind of not only see you out of the territory, but also see, all right, well, where are they? What's going on? So I went in. And so when I went in, I brought two apples. I also happened to be wearing my Jack Sparrow, uh, like you remember the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, where you can buy that Halloween costume. Well, I would just wear it, you know? I mean, I'm one of those dudes. I like to dress yeah, up. Yeah, I, I never liked that, by the way. And we I all hated it. Yeah. And I asked you, why do you do that? He goes, dude, it hypes everybody up. They're stoked. I'm like, oh, God, I'd have hated it so much. <laughs> But yeah, I loved I, you, so I let you do it without giving you too much grief. But I just hated that. Whatever that's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I believe in more than one Halloween a year. I guess that's it. But anyway, so I, I went out and uh, and I'm standing there and I have two apples, and I'm on that logging road that they took that video on. And now, like I said, it was so dark, so wet, and I couldn't see more than a foot in front of me, like barely even my hand held in front of my face. And I took the first apple, and I remember I tried to throw it to my right, and it just immediately hit a tree. Just hit a tree, fell right down. And I was like, oh, God, that's so embarrassing. If there is a squatch watching, because I haven't heard anything at this point. As far as I know, there's nothing in the woods. Nothing followed you back. I didn't hear anything. And I was I was right there. Um, so I took the second one, and I threw it. And it flew, sailed down the trail, and about like, I don't know, 30, 40 yards away, whatever, it, uh, it lands in the water, and I remember the sound, the, the kabloosh into the water, which um, the logging road, as it had come around the turn, it was ne- it became like a foot, foot and a half of water. I don't know, but it was water. Yeah, it was a calf-deep swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I do that, and you know, I'm, I'm experimenting with things because I, I don't know what's going to work in the woods. So what I do is if, I, if there's action or anything around me is I get down on my knee, and I put my palm face out which is something that supposedly great apes, if you know, you, you lose favor, the, the big boy comes over and he runs his hand over your, your palm and then, and then you can, you know, move around without getting beat up. Well, I'm just throwing that out there as kind of like a sign of respect to the, to the squatch and no lie. Um, and, and this, this is, this is that moment that, that I, I wish for everyone, but also if, if, you know, if that kind of stuff really scares you, then, then I don't, cause you probably have a heart attack. But at three o'clock in the morning, on the darkest, wettest night I have ever been in the woods, and woods with actual activity confirmed by all of you guys, I throw that apple. It lands in the water. One, two seconds later, something walks out of the woods in the water. Kaploosh, kaploosh, kaploosh. I heard it. Picks the apple up, walks back in the woods. Now, you know, I'm a believer, and I think we're all believers but in that moment when you get that close, I don't care how much you believe, it's like you never believed before because it's so exhilarating and so frightful and so I, – I, I can't explain. It's like an accident of emotions hit me. And now remember, I'm down on my knee with my palm out in my in my – Pirates of the Caribbean dreads going, holy. And I went from being the most confident, like, dude, this is what I do. I'm going to be the best squatcher ever, to shaking violently because I was so, I had the primal fear. It just rumbled through me, you know, like a shock wave. And I was trying to get a hold of it. And then, you know, you're thinking, like, no one's going to believe me. Like, they can't be real. And, and the thing I propose to people is if you're telling me, that there is a bunch of eccentric billionaires using their money to to stomp around in the woods to mess with people like us, then then okay, okay, you know, okay, that that makes sense. But if not, and since that is so unlikely, then what's happening is real. Like it's it's what 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 does that like almost on command? Now here's other elements of the story that I don't usually tell because once again those they're like the gray areas. But you know. 
you guys are like the few people that would really appreciate the details of this moment. Once again, back to my childhood, just hearing the birds, hearing like what's happening. And so I go back to my, my, my place, you know, like, and I guess it's kind of like my meditation. I, I don't know. I've always been horrible at meditating unless I'm like in full motion running. And then all of a sudden I zone out. But in those moments when I'm really scared, I zone out. And, and I remember I was like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Cause it's not coming to me. So I decide, so I start feeling around the ground and I get like little stones. So I start just throwing them, trying to hit the water again to just, I, you know, at this point I'm just spitballing. Um, should I run back to camp? Should I tell Bobes like to come out here, you know? And as I'm doing it, I don't remember when I realized what was happening, but what was happening is every time I would throw just before or just after almost perfect when mine would land, one would land near me. And it took me a few times. And here's what's amazing about it. Right when I figured it out, it basically stopped. I don't remember if I did one more or not, but it stopped. So what I say to people is nature speaks in subtlety. It's not Hollywood. It's not TV. It's none of that. It's so subtle. And the only way, even when you train for it to be there, is to really strip everything away. And for me, fear does that for me. So I, I guess I get lucky. But maybe it does it for everyone. I don't know. But I realize that. And I, I guess that's a special moment I'll only always have and share. But uh, but it was very real. So, so at that point, um, we, we had a guy on the show, Mike talking baby. Uh, you guys want to take a moment, describe, describe the man, the myth, the legend. People think he's 12 oh, years yeah. old. It's his, his name's, he's, his name's Mike, but he has a, he's has a very boyish face. And of course, when he was on the show, he was probably 21 or at the most 22. So, um, but he had a very boyish face and, you know, some people teased him and heckled him about it. And somehow like or another, four. the nickname, yeah, the, 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 the nickname talking baby stuck on him. You know, um, because there, I think he and Mantooth went out to a bar one time and walked in, and they carded him. And um, Mantooth, I, I think he'd already had a couple, said, "You don't need to card him. Look at him; he's a talking baby." And that stuck somehow. <laughs> um, that, and I'm sure he hates it, and probably shouldn't even put this on. But it's all right. You're all, we're all friends here. Um, but his name's Mike, and he was a great, great. Well, he started out in the Low Man at the Totem Pole, and now he's doing camera work and stuff. He does a, he does he does a bunch of shows in in Africa all the time, filming things. He apparently he's really grown into his job and has become quite the professional. Um, but he kind of got the start on our show, which I thought was rad. He's a really cool guy, and I'm thankful to know him. But yeah, talking baby, Mike is amazing. And and before I conclude this story, I just one of my best experiences ever is with Mike. Almost every time, just Mike and I went out in the woods around where we were filming, uh, we had experiences. He, I think, it's just a theory. But um, if you if you look at apex predators, you know what do they hunt in general? They hunt things where they can limit their chance of getting hurt. So more elderly, more young. Um, and Mike does. He looks young. He looks like a boy, but he's not. He has the presence of a man. You know, he's a he's a powerful character as well. And I think that naturally. Uh, makes them curious because there's something different anyway so you ever want an experience uh befriend mike he's amazing they also called him talking trash bag for another <laughs> another adventure of his but uh but yeah they're drawn to him so that night young mike we're in the woods turner maine darkest night of the year he's he, young buck excited like is this real not sure yet on the fence so he's going down the tree line therming and as he comes down thinking, eh, I don't know, I can't be real. Is it real? He sees in the woods what looks like a squatch. It's like a, it's a thermal blob. And, but, but he's close enough to where he's like, oh my God. So you actually, he's, <laughs> he's actually going, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is it. This is it. We're all going to be famous. So, uh, so, and he's getting closer and he's walking toward it. This, this Sasquatch um, all of a sudden reaches down and throws a rock in the woods and his mind goes poof. He goes, I just got the greatest footage since Patty. We are going to be famous. We're all going to be millionaires. We're going to hang out with rock tears stars. down his face. He was crying. Tears. It was pure joy. Like just unbridled wow and uh and so uh, he's all exciting he's all exciting so then then the commotion starts because he goes over the radio now at, 
now at this point I had had my radio off. Do you, do you remember what came over the radio? He, he, he goes on the radio and he goes, guys, we got him. And they're like, what, what, what do you stay off the line? We're filming. He's like, no, we got him. I got Bigfoot on cam. And that's when what, 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 what? the great, powerful moneymaker, he comes barreling over like just where, where, where are you, Mike? So he comes over and he grabs the binocular and he looks and, and it's that, it's that same, that same moment with Steve, the breath comes out, the shoulders drop. And he just looks at Mike and goes, you did it. And for a brief moment in squatching history and lore, Moneymaker and Mike shared a moment where they really, truly believed they just caught a squatch on film. (laughs) And what it turned out to be was I was in the woods and I was interacting, as I told you before, with this squatch and but but I was watching the Squatch and they were watching me and I had my headset out because, you know, of course I was like, if I keep the technology and my whole ritual, I actually showed the woods my walkie and put it down. I showed the woods my phone and I put it down and I stripped myself of all the of all the ego of, of the me wanting to be there to capture the next greatest footage. I said, no, this is me that wants just to really feel it again and know this is real because I feel like even the, the ones of us closest to, we lose track of that sometime. I mean, just the way it is when you get something so minimally, just a little taste. And, and, uh, yeah. So all of a sudden I kind of hear commotion. And so of course I'm like, Oh crap. So I get my thing on and I hear, and then I hear moneymaker all of a sudden yell, is that you RPG? And I go, yeah, what? And then you just you just felt the energy of the wood, everything just and just go down. And then I broke I broke. Listen, Mike and I are really good friends. Um, I loved working with him. I, I, I love you know. In a way, it was like almost mentorship for a little while. And that's the only time he shoved me. He shoved me so hard that I felt his anger that I had broken his heart and, and that it wasn't real. And that, you know, cause that's how much he believed. And I, I, Mike, I love you, but I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry, but I was having a real experience and I was doing whatever I could to, 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 to enjoy that and hopefully bring it to the team. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Well, I know that was one of our last episodes of the season, and I don't think we were picked up for the next one yet because we had another season or two left in us at that point. But we knew it was coming nearing the end at some point. And I know one of Mike's comments as he was staring at you through the thermal imager and thinking it was a Sasquatch and he was filming is that, like, I saved the show. That was one of the things that came out of his mouth yeah. in those magical moments. There's, yeah, I saved was. the show. And it's like, oh, how, how deflating, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 man. The emotion, I can only imagine. But then it turned out to, to be hilarious. We actually, I still have that footage somewhere. I should get that footage, too. That's amazing to see if, if you see me in the woods and because I was wearing those dreads essentially, um, and I'm jacked on the shoulders, uh, it looks decent. You know, it's not great, but through a therm, um, you could throw off some people for a little bit. It was pretty cool. I got to get that. Yeah. And again, everybody was on high alert cause we knew there was a Sasquatch there that night. We heard them on we the night investigation. We heard them. Yeah, we recorded them. We heard them walking around in the woods while we were doing interviews. We knew they were there. So everybody was just on pins and needles. Yeah. Except for yeah, the producers. It didn't seem to care very much because they wanted to get out of there and finish finish filming. Yeah, that was uh, – and um, was oh, so Mike, right? I'll tell you my, my, my best Mike adventure. And like I said – Almost every time we would have some kind of action around us. Granted, we were in like some of the best areas ever, right? So this story involves the Bobes. We were up in Washington State, and Bobes had gone off to have dinner with some famous rock star friend about an hour or so, maybe an hour and a half from from where we were staying. Bobes invited Mike and I to come to dinner because, yes, Bobes, you were very generous and you wanted to include all of us, even even the outcasts, you know, and. Uh, and, but typical Bobes, 
Here's here's where it is. It's at this. Uh, I'll see you there at this time. So once we get to the mountain, it's just all these dirt roads to what people were planning to be like future housing plots, kind of. They cleared out like little sections. And anyway, we got lost. Hour and a half, roughly hour, hour and a half from home, uh, we're lost. So we're like, what the hell? Like this is, you know, Bobo, come, Joe, have the best time of your life. And next thing you know, you're lost on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. So we decide, well, the hell with it. Let's drive to the top of the mountain um, and let's let's do some squatching. Why not? Right. So part of my practice is I I let them know I'm coming. I, I speak. You can call it whatever you want. Your mind, your heart, telepathy, prayer. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's just you're just putting it out to the woods. And I started putting it out. And, and this was when I first started really inviting other people to do it with me um, because I tried that before and then you just get made fun of for it. That's ridiculous. That's this. That's woo. Um, but, but, you know, we went to all these reservations and they basically said, like, set your intention. Set your intention. Leave an offering and, and they'll talk to you. So I, 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 wanted, I wanted to try that because everything I was trying wasn't working, basically. So Mike and I start doing that. We just, we're coming, we're here. He's kind of laughing about it, but, um, but we do it. And we get up to the top. And this is one of those moments where it doesn't matter if you're squatching or what. We, we, we pulled off the road and we went through um, where the trees had kind of grown over. So you're driving down this just beautiful tunnel. And when you pop out of the tunnel, we pulled and parked. The only way I can describe this place, this little clearing at the top of this mountain overlooking all the way down to the ocean and uh, to the inlet, um, it's a place you take someone you love and you propose to them and you embrace it in, in just wild, passionate love. It is beautiful, right? And we both, as, as two dudes, you know, that were like hoping we were, we're going to go be with a rock star, hang out. You know, we were like, wow, this is beautiful. Too bad we didn't have our girls here. Um, so we get out. And he immediately walks just right to the view and he just starts going to the bathroom. I just remember he was taking a leak, you know, typical ruin the moment. So I start walking down the road back the way we came, uh, just doing like some low whoops, just, just experimenting still like, you know, trying to figure it out, but still putting my intention out. I get about halfway down that road that we walked in and all of a sudden in the, in, in the bushes to my left and it was really verdant, you know, just, just thick, right? Super thick, gnarly vine, tree, this bush, everything. Um, but about, and I'm saying like 30 feet in, not very far in at all. Something begins to stand up. Now we, you guys have been to zoos. We've all been places you've heard, you've seen big animals. You've heard things stand up. Well, what I wasn't afraid until all of a sudden I realized that whatever was standing up was way taller and bigger than anything that could have possibly been in there. I'm like, this isn't, there was no moose in there. There was no, I mean, it was, you couldn't get in or out. Like I couldn't walk in and out without having to cut things and move things. And, and it just kept standing. It just kept standing. And I remember as it was, well, I didn't remember it till after, but as it was standing, I, once again, boom, primal fear, beyond normal fear, primal fear. I started squatting, getting super low to the ground, like trying to hide in the middle of this little dirt road. And I remember thinking in my head, run, run, Ryan. And I knew that if I took off running, I would have blown both of my knees out, but no human being on earth would have been faster than me for those 10 seconds that I sprinted away. That's how scared I was. But I was also insanely curious, you know, and once again, that bubble that I go into after, so anyway, it stands up, it stands up and then it starts to walk. And the only way I can describe the sound is if you've seen Jurassic Park, that first time that T-Rex comes and you hear the, it wasn't that loud. If I wasn't totally in tune, adrenaline pumping, like focused on it, uh, the birds got louder, right? Tweet, 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 tweet. I actually might not have heard it. So the way I describe it, it is the loudest quiet sound you can make. And it began to walk away. And at some point, I forget how many steps it took, I unfroze I because I had been frozen. Like my knee, my whole body, I was, I don't know, man, you could pick me up and shot put at me. Um, I unfroze and I shot to my feet, like <laughs> just could not believe that, that, that this was happening and it happened. And in that second, all of a sudden, Mikey is running down the road at me. He has zipped up his pants. He is pissed on himself just startled by what happened. And he just came right up to me and he goes, 
they're real? They're really, why didn't you tell me? Like a mix of um, just extreme fear with, with surprise. I mean, just, just pure wonder, like, like this can't be real. You know, everyone believes this is not real. Don't tell me this is real. Are we going to die? You know, like, like that kind of energy. And, and now at that point, um, and you know, everyone handles things differently, but the second I knew that I needed to be there for him, then I just go into what I call hero mode, you know? So now I was less scared. Well, first of all, I was walking away from us, you know, whatever it was, we were (laughs) like, could have got us no problem. So we go back to the center of where the cars park with that amazing view. And we are dumbstruck. We are just like, remember that first time you fell in love. And after you walked away from the first time, you just like, Oh, that's it. I did it. I made it. And we had both, he, we had our arms on each other's shoulders. Like we were at an eighth grade dance and we were just kind of bouncing in place, just laughing. And like, is this real? Who's going to believe us? Nobody's going to believe us. Um, and no lie. All of a sudden, on the other side of this clearing, something starts to stand up again. And I remember that moment because uh, that was the only time that I can think of in Squatching where I was connected to somebody. I was physically touching another human being when that primal fear, when, when, when just the power of that moment overtook me. And, and uh, we just locked eyes. And, and boom, owl eyes. And this thing stood up. I will, I, we, it wasn't as big as the other one at all. And it turned as well, very slowly. And it same kind of super loud, quiet sound. And it walked off into this, into the woods. So now this time we were feeling a little more like, uh, I didn't fully freeze. Like we were locked up on each other, but I still had control. Like I did. Um, and, and, and so we both go, let's go in the woods. Right. So here's something I say to people squatching going to, uh, this stuff is like saving a life on a beach. You can lifeguard your whole life and it may happen once, hopefully only happens once. But, but when it does, there's no, don't beat yourself up over it. It's really hard to be fully prepared for it because the moment takes you away. It's, 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 you know, it's seeing God, it's, it's watching a dragon fly. Like you're just like, how is this real? So we go in the woods and I remember it was that same thing. We went in dead quiet, just nothing no noise. And, you know, we're on a mountain, birds, this, all that, wind, nothing. And we had an eerie feeling because it was just the two of us. We're not armed, you know, we're nothing. We're just two kids, really. And uh, and we just decide, okay, I guess they just left. No big deal. We're fine. We're okay. Let's just go back and uh, and go, I guess. And I remember when we came back, we walked in and there was nothing on this little trail that took us in the woods. When we came back, it was the largest pile of uh, corn poo. It was literally like when we walked in, something silently crapped perfectly in the trail, perfect for us to see so much poo and so much corn that like it had to have come from a large animal. Um, and, and we kind of looked at it and we were just so in shock. We just thought it was weird. We were like, that's weird. Like just, why is it just corn? It was just corn. There was no, so maybe it was thrown up. I I don't know, but it was just corn and and we didn't do anything with it. We didn't bag it. We didn't anything. We were just overwhelmed by what happened. And in theory, what do I think happened? Um, I don't know, but, but what I'd like to believe is that they're just like us. And, and that spot, no lie, gentlemen, I hope you all stand there someday or have a spot like that in your life because it was beautiful. And if we can appreciate beauty, they can appreciate beauty. And I believe what you had was a male and a female there. And it was a courtship, kind of like great apes sitting far apart and then slowly kind of coming together as they, you know, do their thing and find their way to each other. Um, and they were just sitting there together, enjoying that view and falling in love. And, and we interrupted that. But what was so unique about our interruption is before we got there, we essentially called them on the telephone to say we were coming, to say that we were sweet and innocent and just curious. Um, I forget to say when I got out of the car, I left a little offering. I have this, this thing of sage and tobacco and, you know, I just put a little offering on the ground. And instead of uh, saying nothing or doing nothing or even maybe scaring us away, they just got up and walked off. And, and that was it, man. And that is... One of my greatest stories of, of, or I shouldn't say story, one of my greatest experiences I, I've ever had in the woods, and I shared that 
with uh, with young Mike. And I, I firmly believe that he's a big part of the reason why they even revealed themselves to us. You always have mm-hmm. been the romantic, though, right? <laughs> always, man. <laughs> Speaking of like the, uh, some people call it the woo factor, or whatever, you know, like paranormal, you're involved in a new project with one of the guests we had on the show who you met and stayed in touch with, Stacy Brown Jr. You guys, and you moved down to Florida now with him, and you guys got some stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, man. Life is, uh, Life's amazing, right? You're going to get knocked down. I don't care who you are. And it's about getting back up and learning from those experiences. And what, what was wonderful about Stacy is I always call him, he's like the engine. This guy, I don't know when he sleeps. He's kind of like a Chad Hamill in that way. He's just go, go, go. He's always on another project. He's always doing something. And um, listen, I, I got three little kids now. Like my, my life has basically come to a stop in a creative way mostly. And I needed help getting out of that rut because I'm, you know, obviously I'm still passionate about this. Obviously I still want to have these experiences and share and encourage people to get off the couch, you know, off their phone and get back in the woods. It's, it's, it's our cathedral, man. It's, it's a temple. And, uh, and anyway, so we, we hooked up and we just started talking and he'd been trying projects with different people and, and some stuck, some didn't this, that, and it was just time I was ready. And he said, yeah, I'm going back. Um, I want to go back to Mayaka. Uh, as you guys know, the, the very famous Falconer footage, uh, for, the, for those of you listening, if you're not sh- in Mayaka River State Park, this guy, Michael Falconer, he was driving along in the park and, and he had been doing so for about a week or two, if I remember correctly. And there were all these buzzards over this one part and they just kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And one day when he was coming by, he... He stopped and looked out and there were just people lined up in the roads and he happened to have enough. He knew what Bigfooting was. He was a minor Bigfooter and he got amazing footage of this thing and actually chased it with his son on his like, I believe it was like an iPhone four. He always complains that like, I'm sorry that I'm sorry. It was like, dude, you did it. Like I would have maybe froze in that position and you actually ran out. But, um, Stacy wanted to go back because what happened after that event, um, is Stacy immediately showed up a few, well, maybe a few days later, um, with his crew to go check it out. And when him and his crew went out in that part of Mayaka in the woods, dude, they, they ran into it. They legit ran into this thing. Um, and, and it kind of blew all their minds. And there's a very famous moment where, uh, and also a guy that we, that we've teamed up with to go back, Bill Brock, um, he was kind of last in the line and the thing ran right into him. He just didn't have his camera on. I mean, it ran right into him. Physically ran into him? Like, uh, no, I'm sorry, not physically, but like right up on him to where he just saw it clear as day and then it turned and, and beelined and ran. I mean, he, he would he would arguably have the best footage of all time if he would if he would have turned his camera on. Um, so so we went back there to start to like revisit that area. And our goal was we want to do all different types of experiments. So our kind of basic philosophy is everything you've ever been taught is a lie. Go rebuild your knowledge base. Stop outsourcing everything to everyone else. And, you know, knowing some things may be true, some not. But basically, go refill all the data banks in your head, all the memories and everything, and make new ones. I I think it's probably just a healthy thing we should all do at some point, especially with parts of our lives we're not interested or hurt us in a way. But anyway, that's that's another sidebar. So, yeah, we went in there, man, and we we are – we're pushing the envelope. We don't want to be your standard uh, squatching paranormal team. We want to set a new standard. We want to be the rock stars of that realm simply by the fact that you tell me an experiment or something outside of anything that will just kill you. You know, obviously we're not idiots. I, I live for my family now, but um, you say it's scary. You say it doesn't work. We try it. What, what's the what's the website people can follow you and Stacy the Outcast Paranormal? Yeah, it's uh, it's Outcast Paranormal. Yep. Outcastparanormal.com. Um, if you, if you are just, if you're into cutting edge adventures, then, then that is, that's what we're putting forth to the public. And the beauty of it is we're packaging it in a way that is different. You know, we, we're not trying to compete with, with people with really big budgets, mainstream TV and that, cause we just can't. So, 
so what we're going for is something that feels a lot more authentic and real. It's more gritty, almost like a cop's feel. Um, because in this time of, of just amazing misinformation, I think things that ring true and feel really genuine, like this podcast, uh, people gravitate towards because they're, they're looking for truth. And that's, and that's what we're after, you know. But we're also going to put on a show. And we've put it together so that what it actually is is a live-action graphic novel. It would be categorized as an action horror doc, uh, but it's a live action graphic novel with graphic novel transitional elements and everything. And, and what we are hoping to do is to take the people our age and, and our audience um, and the, the next generation, the kids, the TikTok audience, and try to create a formula that's, that's closer, that can bring more people to the table and more people to work together. Um, and, and that's our hopes, you know, to, to make it fun, make it real fun. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for joining us, RPG. You got some daddying to do, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably a dirty diaper I need to take care of. Yeah, it's just like well, finding Bigfoot. <laughs> It's like working with the bubs all over again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was a fun look back at the years of finding Bigfoot on the road with RPG. Thanks for coming on and sharing those stories with Ryan. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks so much, man. It's always good to connect with you. Guys, you know I love you. I am a romantic, and I miss you guys, but it's awesome to see you dudes thriving. And thank you once again, you know, for making me a part of your world. Always special to me. All right. Hopefully see you on the road sometime this year. All right. Well, there it was, Bobes. That's a good call. RPG is a good friend. He's been a good friend for a long time. I mean, finding Bigfoot on for nine years, and he was there for most of it. It's a good call having him on the show, and he's he's such a charming guy, and he loves to talk. Perfect guest. Perfect guest. Thanks, Bobes. Yeah, he's awesome. I love RPGs. He's one of a kind, truly one of a kind, and it's a treat to get to spend any time with him at all. All right, Bobes, take us home, man, just like RPG would. <laughs> and he'll even call you in the morning. Okay, folks, it's another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We appreciate your ears. And so get those fingers working, hit like and share. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 